<laughs> so I'm Kirsten. I work here at the house and just wanted to let you in on a little bit of what we've been talking about as a staff. But our huge hope for you guys is that you really do finish this year strong. You notice all of the announcements, all the things that we have going on around here, and that is because we want you to really finish this semester really, really well. So whether that is your core group and finishing that strong by the core group retreat or finishing relationships really strong or for you seniors being able to move into this next stage of life strong, that is what we want for all of you. So I would encourage you to take advantage of some of those things or if there's any way that our staff can help and walk alongside of you as you are finishing up school, um, making plans, please, we would love to be a part of that. Um, so with that, if you have been around for the past month and a half, you know that we are going through a sermon series about cliches. So these phrases that we use and that we seem to live by that maybe aren't quite biblical, that maybe they are, but we, we just use them and we haven't really tested them against anything. And so tonight we're talking about this phrase, you do you. And I, I've heard it in a ton of different kind of manners, and there's always like the very positive connotations of a lot of these cliches. And so when it comes to you do you, we hear it in terms of like, you do you, you are incredible, you're an original, go and do you. But where I seem to hear it most often is in kind of a, a mentality of separation. So this judgment you do you where you look at somebody like whoa those girls shorts they're really short but girl you do you or or we do it in terms of a separation of responsibility where you're like I don't agree with what you're doing but I'm not going to say anything about it so I'm just going to put this you do you in there and leave it alone so for instance a friend comes up to you and says hey I'm thinking about buying this shirt and dropping about three hundred dollars on it what do you think like, well, I wouldn't do that, but you do you. Or a friend comes in and is like, hey, I'm going to, you know, drink this fifth of vodka. Do you want to do it too? And you're like, no, but, but you do you. We're, we're not stepping into any of their reality. We're separating ourselves from them by simply saying you do you. So is that a kingdom mindset? There is this blog that I recently found out about, I have very much years late, um, but it is called Humans of New York. And this guy from UGA, if you haven't seen it, went um, to New York and began taking pictures of people on the streets and capturing their stories. And so there is this one picture in one story that really, really intrigued me. So if you want to put that picture up here. So it's this little girl. And the caption under this picture said she speaks more languages than anyone in her family because she plays with all the children on the street. She speaks more languages than anyone in her family because she plays with all the children on the street. This picture, this story, for me stands in stark contrast of this you do you mentality. This little girl isn't sitting at her windowsill looking out at another girl who is maybe dressed in like tattered clothes or her socks aren't matching and she's not just sitting there being like, oh, her outfit is not cute, but you do you. 
And this girl is not sitting in this windowsill looking at a little boy hop on his skateboard without a helmet or pads and ride right into the street. And she's not sitting there thinking, that looks dangerous, but you do you. No. She is out in the street playing with these kids. She is doing life alongside of them. Where the you do you mentality isolates and creates a you versus me, the kingdom mentality, this picture, unites, creates a we mentality. And so tonight, we're looking at this idea of unity. And I could have chosen a million passages of scripture to talk about this. The Bible is all about unity. And tonight, I've chosen a passage from Galatians 6, 6, 1 through 5. And I go to this passage so often whenever I need to deal with conflict or confrontation. So I figured if we can talk about unity in the midst of conflict, we can probably talk about it in most things. So um, if you want to put that Galatians passage up there, Daniel, that would be great. So it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks of himself as something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have his own load to bear. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It is in this fulfillment of the law of Christ that we will be sitting in tonight. So before we really dive in, let us pray together. Father God, I, I ask that you um, move us towards you, that we, we can listen and respond to your scriptures and to your heart tonight. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to know you even more through the study of this scripture, and I pray that um, everyone here would know you more as well. In your name, amen. Okay, so first, what, what is the law of Christ? What is Paul talking about here? Um, we have to look at the context of this scripture. So Paul, an apostle, was writing this letter to the Galatian church. And what was happening in this church was there was a lot of legalism going on. And so the Galatians were pouring basically burdens and burdens of the law upon people. And as they sinned, the Galatians were like, mm, you're out, you're done. So when Paul uses this word law, he's using it very intentionally. So then we look up a little bit earlier in the scripture about, um, in his letter to these Galatians about what he is meaning by the law of Christ, and he kind of gives us insight into that. Um, So will you put up that next passage? So in Galatians 5, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So then this idea of law makes me think about Jesus, and he talks about this new law very often. Um, We put up those John passages. So in John 13, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then he adds a few chapters later, greater love has no one than this that somebody laid down his life for his friends. So the law of Christ, it's sacrificial love. Loving someone else as yourself. It is loving through service. Simply put, it is the cross. It is Jesus taking our burdens and offering forgiveness, new life, and restoration. So sacrificial love, selfless love, love through service, that looks like unity. When I love someone else, I unite with them. So whereas this you-do-you mentality separates, isolates, creates a you versus me, the law of Christ unites. And it turns that you versus me into a we. So if this you versus, or this you-do-you isn't lining up with scripture, what does it then look like for us to live out the law of Christ? Well, in Galatians 6, we see that the law of Christ demands that we invade the lives of others. The very beginning of this Galatians passage says, Brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now test yourself, lest you too fall into temptation, and bear with the burdens of one another so to fulfill the law of Christ. Stepping into somebody's sin Walking with them towards restoration, bearing somebody's burden, that is invasive. The message translation of this passage says, stoop down, reach out to the oppressed, and share in the burdens of others to fulfill the law of Christ. Stoop down, reach out. Sounds like Jesus to me. We see in scripture that he stoops down and picks up children. He stoops down and picks up the adulterous woman's head. He reaches out and touches the blind, the hurting, the oppressed. And on a bigger scale, he stoops down and enters into our reality. He becomes human. He puts on flesh. He moves into our neighborhood. And he doesn't wait for an invitation. He simply invades our life. And when we see him on earth, we watch as he invites himself to people's house for dinner. He says, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. He invades their homes. And then we watch him telling his disciples to do the same. In Luke 10, he sends out his disciples and says, go and be like sheep among wolves. Go into these towns that are different than yours. Knock on the door. And if they let you in, eat their food, which will be different probably than the food you are eating learn their language, invade their lives, because this is how the kingdom is manifested. And then he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, okay, invade these people's lives and just take over. He says, then move towards restoration, carry each other's burdens. In Matthew, we read that he says that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That what he is about, what Jesus is about, what he wants his disciples to be about is moving these people towards restoration by carrying each other's burden, towards healing. And he says they can be a part of this. 
And then this is what we are invited to as well. So in that Galatians 1, brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual shall restore him gently. We are asked to enter in to this process by invading somebody's life, our friend's life, by entering into their transgressions. And that is terrifying. It feels dangerous. The number of conversations I've had with women who are like, oh, I'm really worried about my friend and the guy that she's dating. It is just not good. Or my friend is doing a lot of drugs and I, it's not, I'm worried. And so I'm like, okay, well, have you talked to her about it? She's like, I don't, I don't know. Like, that's, that's really like I'm invading their space. I don't, I don't know if I can. But my question in regards to this passage is, is that loving? Is that sacrificial love by removing ourselves from that person? Well, the scripture is saying that we are entering into even the places that they are sinning. And then we're not just staying there. We're not just walking into their room and saying, like, stop smoking pot and then walking away. But that we're moving them towards restoration. That it is a long-term process a sharing of somebody's burden that we are invited into with our friends. And then for us to stoop down and reach out. What would happen if we are walking on the street and there's a homeless person sitting there? We're supposed to stoop down. What about people that are sitting by themselves in these pews? Do we stoop down or stoop over and invade their space? The best picture that I can paint for you of what it looks like for someone to stoop down and invade somebody's space comes from a man named Father Damien. And I would like to read um, a passage from this book about him um, to you guys to kind of give you a, a really colorful picture of what that looks like. So, um, you know, story time with Kirsten. Molokai. The island's name was pronounced bitterly, with loathing and fear. Between 1866 and 1873, nearly 800 lepers were quarantined there on an isolated peninsula. Towering volcanic cliffs hemmed them on three sides in the crashing surf on the fourth. It was a prison, a netherworld, made all the more surreal by its Pacific beauty. Abandoned without law or hope, the lepers gave themselves alternatively to despair into what pleasures they may grasp, robbery and drunkenness, sexual orgies, and anarchy marked their lives. When finally, after a torturous descent, the leopards finally succumbed to their diseases. Their already decayed bodies often became food for pigs and wild dogs. Father Damien first came to Hawaii in 1864. He had been born in Europe, the sturdily built son of a well-to-do Belgian farmer. When his brother fell ill and could not travel from his post at Hawaii's Sacred Heart Mission, Damien asked to take his place. For a decade, Damien served at the mission. During that time, many of his parishioners were forced away to Molokai. Their memory remained wedged in his mind 
slowly building into a fearsome emotion. He yearned to go to the lepers and to convey love to them where they lived. In April of 1873, Father Damien wrote to his superiors asking for permission. A month later, he stood on the beaches of the dreaded isle. Damien steeled himself for the worst, but the sights and smells of Molokai left him gasping. One of his first encounters was a young girl, her body already half eaten by worms. One by one, Damien set out to meet them all. Carefully avoiding physical contact, he confronted their rotting bodies, putrid breath, and ever-present, raspid coughing. Damien's first desire was to remind the lepers of their inherent dignity as children of God. To demonstrate the value of their lives, he honored their death, constructing coffins, digging graves, protecting the cemetery from scavenging animals, and ensuring a, cemetery, a ceremony for everyone passing. As the days went by, however, Damien began to feel that he could not fully convey all that he wished to share without drawing even nearer. He began to timidly touch the lepers. He ate with them and hugged them. Over time, he even began to clean and wrap their oozing sores. Everything Damien did, he did with the lepers. Together they built coffins and chapels, cottages and roads. He taught them how to farm, raise animals, and even sing despite their mangled vocal cords. One report described him teaching two leopards to play the organ with the ten fingers they still had between them. Damien thought, sought to draw near to the lepers in his words as well, even speaking of we lepers. Running to his brother in Europe, he explained, I make myself a leper with the lepers to gain all to Jesus Christ. That is why in preaching I say, we lepers, not my brethren. It was 11 years after Damien's arrival at Molokai that he spilled boiling water on his leg. He watched in horror as his feet blistered, yet felt no pain. His efforts to trot, draw ever near to the lepers were complete. He would now meet them in their disease as well. The final five years of his life, Damien served the lepers of Molokai as a leopard priest. The days passed, both joy and suffering. Outpouring of international support arrived at the island and several helpers. Alongside the blessing, however, came physical pain, times of loneliness, and even depression. Finally, on April 15, 1889, Damien breathed his last. He was laid to rest among thousands of lepers that he had helped to bury what he called the Garden of the Dead. <clears throat> in 1936, the request of the Belgian government, Father Damien's body was returned to his birthplace. Years later, the people of Molokai pleaded that at least one part of their beloved father be returned to them. What they finally received with joy was Damien's right hand, the hand that had touched and soothed and embraced them even when everyone else had done all that they could to keep the lepers far away. So what does that look like for us to invade somebody's life? It can start in your apartment. Have you ever been in your apartment and known that your roommate is in the next room crying? Or watched a friend shrink away because they're starving themselves? or heard your roommate come in night after night 
wasted. Have you ever heard your friends just continuing to talk down about themselves every time they talk? Have you seen a homeless person on the street? Have you ever seen an elderly man sitting by himself in church? Have you seen a mom trying to manage a million groceries and a million children and getting them all into her van? And what do you do? Do you stand there and wait for an invitation? Hey, come on into my room, I wanna talk to you. Hey, will you hold this grocery bag for me? What would happen if you invaded these people's lives? If you knocked on the door and said, hey, can I come in? I wanna hear what's going on. If you said, hey, I know that every time you go to this party, you feel really awkward, so you have to over drink. So what if I come to the party with you? Then we, don't, we can both feel awkward together. Hey, I know that you really like these people that you get high with all the time. So what if I cook dinner and we have like a game night and everyone comes over here? What if you go and sit next to that old man at church and say, hey, we're going to go get lunch after this? Or maybe you walk up to that lady and you say, I'm going to help you with your groceries. When we invade people's life, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. The law of Christ demands that we are humble. In this passage, it, it continues to remind us that we need to test ourselves. That if we think more highly of ourselves than we ought, then we are deceiving ourselves. But that we must enter into bearing somebody else's burden humbly, seeing that person as ourselves. But we're not coming in, as Ashley was saying earlier, as a me over you, I'm here to help you, I'm the good Christian. You're the one that needs help. But we enter in on the same level. See, Jesus, when he walks into the scene while an adulterous woman has been, just been caught in her act and the Pharisees are about to stone her for what she has done, he says, if anybody has not sinned, then you be the first one to cast your stone. And they all leave. He has leveled the playing field. He's saying, all of us are sinners. So we are all equal here. Those of you that have been on a mission trip, those of you that do any sort of service in your life, you know that as you serve, what actually happens is that you begin to receive as well. We were talking with the interns yesterday about their year and, and then the conversations about how much they have learned from all of you was enormous. They've sacrificed their year, their money, their time, their emotions, yet they are receiving from you. When we have this attitude of a we versus a me over you, this is when we begin to fulfill the law of Christ. Our mentality has shifted. It changes this idea of like carrying this heavy burden and oh, I have to loan this to you or have to throw this dinner party for you, but but no, I'm, I'm doing this for you and I, I'm receiving from that. Maddie reminded me of this book we read um, a while ago and it, it tells us that, that when we serve people that literally, like, we are healthier and happier 
just as a physical being. And so our minds are changed, our posture is changed into one that receives, not just gives or lords over. When we were in Seattle, every single morning on our trip, we would go and we'd eat breakfast at the Salvation Army. And here, what we learned was that these people had so much to teach us. That we didn't want to anymore just drop off a sandwich and feed someone and leave, but we wanted to be part of their life, to be invested in by them. We learned from John, who used to be a professor and now has a house that he's trying to house homeless in, that when you believe in the truth, you do not let anything move you away from that. We learned from Michelle, a meth addict, that it is prayer that sustains and that you asking for prayer from others is essential. Our mentalities were shifted because we were in a place of humility saying that it is not you homeless, but it is we, just like Father Damien said, we lepers. This mentality in us must shift so that we may fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ demands community. From the, from the very get-go of our creation, from our being as humans, from our being as the church, we were created in community. So Genesis 1 and 2 talks about how we were made in the image of God. Well, what the image of God is, is a triune God, a God that was cr- himself community family. So if we are to be image bearers and show that off, we must be showing that off in community. And then in Genesis 2, we see God telling Adam, like, it is not good for you to be alone. So he creates Eve, a woman, Ezra, warrior, helper, because it was good for him. And then we see the creation of the church, and we watch in Acts that they share everything, that they are of one mind. We are called the body of Christ. We are called the bride, all of us together. So as we fulfill the law of Christ, it has to be done in community. And and we watch how these communities are working together, and, and they are uplifting one another. The Father is uplifting the Son, the Son, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Father. The church was uplifting each other. Nobody was jealous of another. And so that helps us understand this very last part of that passage we are reading where Paul says, you know, you must boast in yourself. Because that doesn't actually make sense when you think, okay, but Paul keeps talking about, like, I'm only boasting in Christ. What he's talking about here and then with this idea of bearing your own load is that, that we are to have our own faith that I'm not just supposed to have a faith because my mom does or because somebody else does, but that my faith is important so that I can then build others up. Because when I'm building somebody up, I'm at my best. So I can boast in that. That I am not jealous of someone else, but I can clearly be me and thus affect my community. One of the best examples that I can, like, give to explain some of this, this idea of baking. Um, those of you that know me lo- know I love to bake, and 
in, in Ecuador, we went with the house over Christmas break, and we got to teach the caretakers of the orphans we were working with um, how to make Christmas cookies. And this was something that they didn't ever do, like so much so that we would put the cookies in the oven and they would like take them out and flip them like every couple minutes. Like, you're supposed to flip these. And we're like, no, you're not supposed to do that. But so we're making these sugar cookies, explaining Christmas traditions and all that. And as we're making it, the dough was like, you know, like, I don't know if I used to make Play-Doh when I was little. And it was like that nasty, like Play-Doh stuff that would fall apart. Like nothing was really sticking together. But pressed on, we're going to keep making this. We bake them, and they come out, and they weren't bad. They just kind of tasted like biscuits. And at that moment, one of the girls in the group was like, uh, you know what? We forgot to add sugar to the sugar cookies. We forgot sugar. This ingredient was so important. It affected the way the cookies felt and looked and tasted. And so that is like us. When there's one part of this community that isn't working correctly, it affects how it looks and feels and tastes. Or if there's too much of it, same deal, too much baking soda, it's not going to be right either. And so if we think about this, then we can't use a you-do-you mentality because actually everything that somebody else does, does affect me. If my friend is walking down a road of destruction, I can't say you do you because it, it, it's part of who I am. If I'm walking down a road of destruction, it is part of who everyone else is as well. On Ellen the other day, there was a teacher that was on there. She's a kindergarten teacher, and they were thanking her for all the work she had done, and there was an interview about her and one of her coworkers said this about her. They said, she keeps saying on and on that it's not about me, it's not just about that person, it's about all of us. That she recognized that her helping these kids was actually helping everyone as a whole. That if one of these kids was sick, that that was actually affecting everyone as a whole. So if we are able to have this mindset the mindset that we are in community, that we are a we, we're going to be able to fulfill the law of Christ. It's going to change us. It's going to make us not just isolate ourselves and do our faith on our own. It's going to make us realize that everyone is important, our professors, our friends, people we don't like. It's going to give us a lot more boldness to step into the transgressions of our friends and walk them towards restoration. It's going to have us look at other people's problems and say, those are ours as well. To see an injustice and care because it affects us. So if you are people who are about the law of Christ, if you are people that enter into the transgressions of your friends and walk them towards restoration, if you are people that stoop down, reach out and bear the burdens of those around you, humbly and in community, if you are people that go out and play in the streets and speak all the languages, then by all means, you do you. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, um, 
I'm thankful that all these people in this room are part, um, part of this community, part of your body, that they are part of who I am. Um, I pray that we learn how to build each other up, how to restore each other, how to be open and honest with one another. I'm just really grateful that they are a part, part of, of who I am and a part of your body. In your name, amen.